You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan, on West Limerick 102 FM. As we haven't had a second helping show in a while, we thought that now we're well into summer, it would be the perfect opportunity to replay some interviews and we've chosen some with a summer feel to them. So coming up we have frozen yoghurt, rapeseed oil that can be used in the perfect salad, Geraldine enjoys some spicy food, but first let's return to Clock Jordan and make some bread. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. So I'm here with Joe Fitzmaurice of Clock Jordan Woodfired Bakery in the heart of the eco village in Clock Jordan. Hello Joe. Hi Sharon. This is a fairly impressive operation that you have here. Thanks very much. Yeah, I, uh, we moved down here in 2011 and myself and a friend, we built this bakery and we use, as I say, in a retained heat and masonry oven. It was designed by a man called Alan Scott. And uh, yeah, it's a wonderful type of oven, really highly efficient. And it works on the principle, as I was saying, it's a retained heat. They'd also be known as black ovens, where they differentiate from, you would have old fired ovens within Ireland, might be known as Scotch ovens, or white ovens, where these have an external fire chamber. This particular oven, we have, it's an internal fire chamber. We source all our timber from the local forests, so at the moment we're using the timber for this beech, which is a great uh, wood for for burning in uh, uh, ovens as a firewood. It's a hard wood, but a very uh, small amount of ash. And that's just sourced from a local uh, quilted forest uh, behind us in Stockwell. And that's, again, that's sustainably, sustainably grown. So we have a fantastic uh, source of energy. The oven works without any electricity at all. So uh, it's great. I fill it about two thirds full of timber. And then I set the, uh, that uh, timber on fire and it burns for around eight hours. Within that time, the masonry can get up to around 500 degrees centigrade on the first layer. But I need that energy to penetrate in through the brickwork and into the masonry. And then like, and it'll hold itself at around 330 degrees centigrade. That's the usual temperature I like to start baking at. Now, to me, it looks a bit like a pizza oven. Yeah, and it will be. There's the same, a similar style of uh, baking. But if, when you're baking uh, with bread, you don't have a fire in it. When, if I'm baking a pizza, you'll have a fire in it because you're using the bright, radiant heat that's coming out of the light of the flame. And that's what scorches the top of the pizzas. And that's why you have a flame burning in the corner, usually why you have a pizza. Otherwise, when you're trying, you see them at home if you're trying to bake in an oven, and it, can, it, it bakes the pizza. And it's a different finish than when you actually get one traditionally done with a fire on it. It is a completely different kind of crust on it. And uh, the temperatures we would uh, be working are much higher. And just talk me through then, when do you light it and at what stage after it's lit can you bake and how long? It's, you said it stays alight for eight hours, so do you let it extinguish or is it constantly reignited? Yeah, no, it, so as I said, so I need that, so that's gone out, so there's no fire in there at the moment. Full firing takes around 12 hours, so, I mean, so it'll go up to around, if I leave it open, the burning for eight hours and then about another four hours for that energy to move from the surface of the brickwork in through up and get stored deep inside the masonry because I need it completely saturated with energy. So you have to time yes. it quite carefully as to when you're putting your bread in there. Yeah, so I know exactly how many loaves I'm going to be making the day before so I know how much energy I have to put into it because once that energy is gone, I can't bake at it. And also, so as I put 
the bread in, I'm taking the energy out so the temperature is falling. So I have to time what kind of breads will go in. And, uh, and that be, that's the breads that we have in at the moment. So you're going to bring that's some out now. Yeah, these are, well, I'm going to turn them around. You can see if I just load them in there. And uh, because the back of the oven is much hotter than the front of the oven, don't worry, you'll be getting one of these. Oh great, I can't wait. Uh, these are a wholemeal sourdough and I use com- uh, wild Atlantic kombu seaweed in them and uh, organic brown rice. And what's the capacity of the oven there in terms of how many loaves can you bake at one time? So depending on, like I was saying, it's a kind of a bowl of free palm bread. It takes up to around 30 loaves. And uh, if I'm putting in bread and tins, it takes, it takes 64. But at the moment, the back of the oven is much hotter than the front of the oven because I've started off at a higher temperature. So I go through an optimum temperature. So I'm baking these just using the front of the oven because at the back of the oven, it's too hot and they'll burn. So I'm just putting them in a much shorter amount. And I'll bake them off for about another 10 minutes. And uh, as I was saying, they... Uh, sorry, sorry. I have to just set this. Very important to get the timing spot it. on. Well, yeah, because uh, I, I can get distracted and then uh, I can't have them burning. At the moment, like that oven, we're up at uh, 309 degrees centigrade, the masonry is. So it's a very high temperature. And uh, it's working on a radiant heat and not just convectional heat. Now, you use only certified organic flours and yeah. natural sea salt if, if yeah. um, a bread requires it. That's very important to you. It would be, and like even within that, like within, I would only use the, the likes of the organic flowers because for, for environmental reasons as well, we know there's bee colony collapse, and I know it's, they're trying to deny that it's coming from pesticides, and it's been fought in the in European courts to try and get it, uh, to try and stop the use of pesticides, and I, and I think it is going to be a huge problem. So we go for purely organic flowers, but our main thing would be the use of stone ground flowers because this is a really important part that people are missing out now as well is the type of milling process that's used in the large industrial bakeries the use of roller milled flowers and we know that there's a huge difference between stone ground and roller mill because in a roller mill flower most of the nutrients are within the outside husks of the wheat and 70% of the nutrients of wheat is lost through roller milling and we're just left at the pure starch kernel and this, I believe, is causing a rise in the likes of diabetes and uh, across the country. So would you describe your breads as being good breads, that they, they are healthy? Yeah, and like, like the main thing is, the, and also because this is how breads were made. This idea of, well, I would have like the idea that soda bread is the traditional Irish bread, but baking powder only, uh, was only invented 150 years ago. So before that, we were making bread. We were using natural barms, and it was a long-term, long natural fermentation. And I was growing up. I used to eat uh, the breads that we were getting. We knew, like the, the uh, they were made again through long fermentation. You talk to old bakers who were working in large bakeries, and they used to do that long fermentation, saving dough. And it is that long fermentation which enables us to digest the the breads and the grains and assimilate them into the body. 
Now, what sort of breads do you do in addition to the sourdough and the long fermentation, spelt and rye? Like those are... Those Apart from are, that, we don't. What? Everything we do would be long fermentation. Okay. Yeah. That's what and you specialise in. It's, it's, the, it's what bread needs to be, yeah, long fermentation. But do you flavour those with yes, herbs so this, rosemary? These breads I'm uh, going to take out here. And these here, as I've seen, these are uh, these are seventy-five percent wholemeal with Atlantic kombu seaweed and organic brown rice. So there's seaweed in this bread. Yeah, these are Atlantic kombu seaweed, and they're, the reason behind this, what we're trying to do with this bread is, this is based on when I was growing up. My mother used to take a leftover rice and let it ferment, and they would make sourdough uh, breads using the, this fermented rice as, as a starter, and then add wheat flour to it. So, behind that idea, I was concerned with the, uh, uh, to be able to create a complex protein. So if these breads, the idea is that if you're gonna eat these with a, like a nut pate, uh, something like a hummus, or a, like a nut butter, like you know peanut butter, almond butter, we're going to be creating complex proteins. So this again, we're, we're looking at the nutritional value of the bread. We're looking at getting our carbohydrates in a whole form and also creating complex proteins so the body can get the nutrients. What other breads I'll be looking at now? Because through the winter time, I was not much I've been making, I would make some like nut breads and things. But now with spring coming in, we'll be going off hopefully this Saturday now and I'll go out and collect a load of gorse. And we'll start making some gorse sourdough. So we'll introduce some of the coconut flavours. And then we're going to the wild garlic will start coming up. And I'll make a wonderful wild garlic bread out of that. And then I'll start looking at a, a nettle bread. And then we have the elderflower comes in. That makes a wonderful sourdough. And then the lavender will be in blooming. And I'll make a, a lavender and hazelnut. And with each of these breads, we have to look at the characteristics of the flavour and how they'll be eaten. So some of them, like the uh, wild garlic and the, the nettle, I make, uh, again, a long fermentation yeasted bread. has a large holes in it. It's a bit, it's a, a, I use a batard dough. So again, we have, a, but it's great for dipping in things. And we have the garlic flavour already introduced into the bread. It's great for dipping into oils and stuff like that. And so uh, I don't make them in, in, a, in a sourdough. I'll make, you know, uh, for making the elderflower one. My mouth is watering. And uh, so that's kind of... <laughs> now, I'm sure the listeners are wondering where can they actually buy the breads. And I know they're available in the milk market on a Saturday in Limerick. Yeah, just outside there. Declan sells them. In Limerick, you can also get them through the, the new food co-op that's opened up, up there. And, uh, and then we also sell them over in Killaloo uh, through Wooden Spoon and locally here in Clock Jordan, uh, and then in Nina, in Nadur, Nina on Abbey Street. And then we also send a lot of our breads into Dublin. And you have a bread club. Yeah, that's, that's great. So this is a way, like within the local area of Clock Jordan, we run a bread club. So this is a great way for communities to support local businesses, and then we can give back to them. So we, give to, uh, we supply the bread at just over the uh, commercial price, uh, as if, and then they 
they would pay into straight into our uh, bank account um, in advance so we know how many breads so they support us they say to us oh yes they will be ordering however many bre- breads every week so every, there's a monthly payment goes into our account and we can pay directly to them and if they live within the eco village we deliver them all to their doors on the bike so yesterday the kids were going around delivering all and that's great because we can also call on our neighbours with direct feedback and that sales and they know they're supporting a local family and a local business and there's that great trust that we have with each other that I you know I'll give the best bread that we can to them and then they'll support us through our baking yeah well Joe Fitzmaurice from Clock Jordan Wood Fired Bakery thanks a million for talking to me and have you a big knob of butter there for me to go with this bread (laughs) (laughs) you're listening to second helpings of the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM We're going to move now from freshly baked bread to a healthy bowl of frozen yogurt. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. If you're looking for a healthy alternative to ice cream this summer, then frozen yogurt may be just the product for you. It's Some of them are low in fat, gluten-free, with no artificial flavourings or sweeteners. And Joanna Lovegrove from Chili Moo is on the line to tell us all about her products. Hiya, Sharon. How are you? I'm great, Joanna. How are you? Fine, thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for giving us this opportunity. It was a good intro there. It's um, yeah, it's one of the only frozen markets uh, or frozen yogurts available on the market at the moment. But our one, we we kind of set out to make it literally as healthy as we possibly could while still tasting really nice. So it's sweetened just with fruit juices instead of kind of putting in loads of sugars or artificial sweeteners. Um, and then we just sort of didn't add in anything that we wouldn't like to have in it for ourselves. Um, now, when you talk about ourselves, you're talking about your friend, Claire Holman, who is your business partner. That's right, yeah. Um, we've known each other literally forever. I think like our, our mums were, were friends before we were born. So, um, you know, we kind of went to school together. We grew up just up the road from each other. So we've known each other a long time. And we kind of had always thought that at some stage we might try and do something together. Um, and then this sort of opportunity came up. Um, when we were first thinking about it, it was actually solely a product for children. Claire has three kids and I have two. And we were kind of bemoaning the fact that you seem to spend the entire summer just saying no to kids, you know, because they just want ice cream all the time. And you just, we were so fed up of being, you know, the mean mum. And we were kind of thinking, well, whatever happened to frozen yogurt? Because there was a kind of a trend of it, you know, back in the kind of 1980s, and then it all disappeared again. So that was where the idea came from. But then as we started to develop it, um, we realized that it was actually delicious. Um, so we, we kind of have a much broader appeal now, which is great. You know, we eat it ourselves and we get a lot of people without kids eating it. Um, it's, you know, just sort of health conscious adults. Um, anybody really that has an interest in food um, and celiacs as well because it's gluten free. So that's another kind of big big market for us. Um, you have a production facility in Carlo, but you probably started in your kitchen at some stage. Um, well, we just made batches really for ourselves. We've never sold it from our kitchen. Um, you have to go through 
quite a big kind of rigmarole, you know, with the HSCs kind of become certified. So for us, the path that was easiest for us was to outsource the production to a production facility. But we came up with the recipe kind of ourselves. And And you have three different flavours. You've banana and strawberry, you've mixed berry and you've strawberry and the strawberry flavour got a great taste gold star last year. Are, Are you putting any of the products forward for awards this year? Yeah, it was actually the banana, sorry, the banana and the strawberry that, that won the awards. Um, yeah, the 2013 Great House, which we were delighted about. Um, and we're just, we're putting forward a new flavour that we are launching at the moment. Um, it's a lemon flavour. Um, we we kind of realised that with the flavours that we had, um, some of them kind of definitely seem to appeal slightly more to the kind of child market. So the mixed berry um one is is tends to appeal to kind of adults or older kids um and we we wanted to launch another kind of um flavor with you know a really strong taste profile so we've come up with a lemon which is i think is our best yet but i would say that <laughs> so we're entering that as well into the great taste this year the packaging is very colourful and you've cartons of cows that are called Bessie, Trixie and Pauline. Is there a new cow for the lemon product? There is, yes. This this poor unfortunate cow is stuck forever hula hooping and juggling at the same time. Um, so we've got the artwork ready to go. We still haven't chosen a name and I think what we're going to do is we're actually going to run a competition to name the cow. So that will be coming up on our Facebook page um, very soon. And we might do it through some magazines as well. And obviously there'll be some good prizes and you will be immortalised on the uh, on the packaging. Now, you said there about making batches in the kitchen just for, for you and your families to enjoy yourselves. And you actually subcontract the the production to a third party. What challenges did you face in terms of actually bringing it to the market and getting to that stage? Um, well, uh, we, we were really lucky. We got um, a lot of help through our county enterprise board. In our case, it's Dublin City Enterprise Board, but um, I, I think they, they all offer just amazing services, to be honest. And we got a mentor um, through that and you know all the financial help in the world probably at the beginning just wasn't worth the, the, the advice that he could give us he, he used to be a buyer in um, sort of some of the big multiple stores so you know he has the inside track so we we went about things I think in a, in a slightly upside downy kind of way in that we went around to a lot of shops and we actually sold the concept to them and um, we had just kind of mocked up packaging and really we didn't really even have the product but they saw the packaging and they kind of liked the concept because it wasn't just another kind of ice cream or another you know we it was a frozen yogurt and they didn't stock it so i think we had agreement from i'm trying to think now i think it was about 25 stores before we actually made our first batch in the production facility who agreed to take it so we kind of went from zero to 25 in one weekend. God, that's great. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Now, we kind of thought that that, you know, there's sometimes ignorance is bliss. We kind of thought that's how you did it. So we just did it. But we've kind of sp- since spoken to people, and I think that's kind of a bit 
bit unusual. You should have a product first before you sell it. But um, um, yeah, it worked. It worked well for us. And with the success of the Irish market under your belt, I believe you're currently exploring export markets and targeting Asia, thanks to the Irish Export Association. That's right. Yet yeah, there is an initiative. It's the with the Irish Export Association and also the Smurfit Michael Smurfit School of Business, um, and um, they are but basically they're using their, their. It's an end of year project for some of their students, and you give them the full brief on kind of the countries that you're interested in looking into, and they go off and they do all the research and they come back to you. You know with Lots of things. And I have to say now, we've been really impressed to date. Um, any reports that we've got, they kind of don't have that sort of, you know, school homework feel to them. They really are kind of properly researched, excuse me, <clears throat> and have brought up some issues that, that wouldn't have crossed our minds. So we are getting, I think, the final report from them next Thursday, I think it is. So that will be, that'll be interesting. Um, they're kind of helping us hone down on kind of just one country as an entry strategy. Um, and then we're also looking to, <coughs> excuse me, to the Middle East as well. Um, any of these countries with eternal sunshine, you see, are nice for a frozen product. <laughs> and I don't actually see any Limerick stockists on your website. Is it available in this neck of the woods at the moment? I know. I was actually thinking that it's terrible. Um, no, I think Galway and Cork are probably like the two, the two closest. We definitely, you know, are quite Dublin centric um, because that's where we started. Um, but we're getting more and more in Cork, and then we have sort of isolated ones. Um, but no, if there's anybody out there in Limerick who wants to be our first uh, first stockist of Chili Voo, then please give us a shout because we are we're. We're expanding everywhere, you know what I mean? So we'd definitely be keen to get another county. Well, Joanna, thanks for talking to me this evening. We wish you the best of success and hopefully we'll see it in West Limerick Freezers very soon. Oh, thanks so much, Bye. You're listening to Second Helpings of the Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. The gardens are in full bloom this time of year and some of us may have attempted growing our own herbs during the year. Our next guest tells us about her herb nursery in Anaskal and gives us a few tips for growing our own. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunte. Asha McCarthy O'Brien has spent the last 10 years growing and selling herbs on the Dingle Peninsula. We join Greta now at her herb nursery in Anaskal. Welcome Greta. Oh, hi, Geraldine. Thank you. Yeah, lovely day here today. It is. It's beautiful. It's it's beautiful to see a bit of sun. Um, how did you first get interested in horticulture, Greta? Well, you know, that sparked really as a child, I suppose. My, my dad was the first influence because he was a commercial grower in East Cork, where I grew up in a, a little village called Cloyne. And uh, he taught me as a child, you know, the basics of sowing seed and growing. And then after that, I got my first job in Ballymaloo because it was just a few miles from where I lived. And uh, that inspired me as well. And I suppose I, I got very interested then in, you know, herbs, in, in the you, growing herbs for cooking. And um, I remember my first herb I ever grew from seed was dill. And to this day, it still remains one of my favourites. 
Um, and then I suppose went through school and uh, in school I decided I wanted to do horticulture and uh, I got, gained a scholarship to the Botanic Gardens that would be back in the 80s you know carried on with it, it generally working in uh, you know had a couple of garden centres and that up and settled in Wicklow And tell us about the herb nursery here in Anniskall well, this is, um, it's just on a, an acre of land I have here and uh, it's a very small enterprise and it operates uh, seasonally just from March until about the end of July and August. And uh, I grow a, as, as wide a selection of herbs as I suppose one can get really. You know, it's a very specialised subject. There aren't that many people in Ireland who specialise in just herbs. Um, I do always like to clarify though that I'm a horticulturist who specialises in the growing of herbs. I am not a herbalist. I mean, that is, uh, you know, that's a study in itself and that's geared towards more the, you know, obviously medicinal end. And it has taken um, many, many years, really, for me to gain the knowledge I have. It's as much a passion now and a love for me as a business. (laughs) And what are the popular herbs that people use for cooking and for food decoration? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's getting more popular in the last, definitely in the last 10 years, and I suppose with all the extra cookery programs and that and uh, uh, you would have you know there's there's separate I try to, to make it simple for people who are starting off you're separated into a couple of groups we've got what we call the annual herbs and they can be grown easily enough from seed you've got things like chervil coriander borage um, basil which is easy to germinate but tricky enough to keep then you've got uh, the salad herbs, which are fantastic, and they can be grown easily in containers. Like you've got lots of, you can buy seeds of, you know, mixed leaves, or you can buy, I sell mixed trays. You can get mizuna, red mustard greens, a lot of oriental herbs, uh, which are used in uh, salads and Asian cooking. And then you've got, of course, our regulars, um, which would be the perennials and what I mean by perennial is they would be the ones that would be the mainstay of your herb garden and they would last for many, many years. Um, unless, of course, you get a really bad winter like we've had or a very extremely wet winter and you will lose your things like rosemary. But I suppose you've got um, thyme, um, rosemary again, sage, oregano, lemon balm. And those particular ones I've mentioned are all Mediterranean herbs, so they love a real sunny, well-drained, sandy soil. And so it is very important to make sure that you have some uh, sand mixed through the soil because our soils here in Kerry are very heavy. But if you are in an area where you've got a shady spot, you can grow uh, mints, lovage and chives. So even though there's a misconception that all herbs need full sun, there are shade tolerant ones. I mean, there's a herb for every aspect, I'll put it like that. And whether, whether you want to plant them in your rockery or grow them in containers or even by a pond side, you know. And um, then the, the last group, which really, you know, we don't mention much, are what we call the biennials. And they're just, that's... Um, that is a plant that will just grow for two years and an example of that would be parsley and really for a novice somebody starting off I think you're best off uh, purchasing plants 
of the perennials. You can maybe try sowing a few uh, seeds of the easier things like rocket and cut and come lettuce. Um, if somebody's starting off, don't go out and just buy 20 different ones. You know, start by maybe first year, purchase maybe plant a half a dozen and give them the right location and look after things. See, a lot of people plant, but they don't maintain. And a good gardener is somebody who will maintain what they have, not constantly have to keep replacing and buying more. You know, there is a, there's a, a lot of waste as well, like in every industry, which we, we need to be aware of, you know. Mm, it sounds a little bit like me. I, I have good intentions and then, you know, I, I yeah. lose interest then after yeah. a little while. Yeah, yeah. And you also provide herb demos and courses for interested parties. Can you tell us what type of topics would be covered in those courses? Yeah, well, really, I suppose the, the most demand is for the culinary ones. And that would be like I, do, I will do one on the, the food festival in Dingle and um, because that would be the, the, the most popular aspect. But then uh, I will, you know, I can d- design a, a demo, we'll say, on ornamental herbs. Um, and as I said, ornamental come medicinal herbs. But generally speaking, it, it would be on people who want to start growing herbs for domestic use are a lot of the restaurants, a lot of chefs. I'm always trying to encourage uh, chefs to grow their own herbs because there are a lot of herbs they can't buy, they can't get commercially, like things like orange thyme and lemon thyme. I mean, they can buy in the basics, but if they want to just get that edge on the market and have more exotic, unusual flavours, it's great just to, to grow to, to grow your own, you know. And obviously that is something I would like to get to do more of. And I would do, you know, ICA or clubs and whatever. And writing has been kind of something that I've delved in more in the last few years. And I write for West Kerry Live magazine, which is a magazine here in, uh, in Dingle regularly. And uh, I have just finished the completed um, a book that I've been working on all winter and I am hoping <laughs> that that will be published in the near future. And who knows where that will lead to. I would definitely love to, um, you know, write more and, and, you know, try and pass on my knowledge and enthuse people um, on the subject of herbs, um, which, as you know, has been my passion. <laughs> Share your knowledge. That sounds great. And whenever the book comes out, you can let us know and we'll... I'd be thrilled. We'll I'd be delighted. Yeah, I'd be delighted, yeah. And in terms of people getting in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, uh, my website is gretasherbs.com and they can email me at gretasherbs at yahoo.com and my phone number is on the website and they can ring as well. Thank you, Greta. That's great. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, Thank you, Geraldine. Now, okay. thank you very much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleite. Next up, it's Broider Gold Rapeseed Oil. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. While some products start out as an idea that then undergoes significant research and development before launching onto the market, others sometimes happen by accident. On the line, I have Leona Kane from the award-winning Brighter Gold Rapeseed Oil Company. Good evening, Leona. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Leona, your rapeseed oil was created really by accident, wasn't it? Complete accident, to be honest. Um, my husband is a farmer, and at the time, we were actually just pressing for our own biodiesel. We were one of the first farms here in Northern Ireland that actually started it. And I completely ran out of olive oil one night. I was cooking two steaks and just doing the normal salad and wedges. 
and I had nothing to kick it in apart from like just butter to be honest and Richard said she will take some of the rapeseed oil and I thought okay I know people in England who have done it before but I wasn't actually really I, did, I didn't know anything about it to be honest How long ago was this? Um, Jacob's five now coming so that's six years ago um, uh, it was before my first son was born And rapeseed oil wasn't readily available then the way it is now? It wasn't at all. Um, there was one other company on the market that I knew of um, in the south, but uh, nobody at all here in the north. And to be honest, we had been away in England uh, probably about a year beforehand, and I had noticed that I, I've always liked food and I, I like cooking, but um, I had noticed it on the shelves just whenever I was in one of the small delis, but I didn't really take any keen interest, to be honest, because you know I didn't really know too much and I'd always used olive oil. And as I say, Richard brought me up in a Coke bottle that night, unfiltered, and the wee blackfoots were still floating through it, which was the actual cake. And I was so scared of raining the two steaks, but I actually loved it in the end up. Um, it was great, to be honest. And what's the main difference between rapeseed oil and olive oil? It's, it, it's, there's a higher burn point to start off with. It cooks to a higher temperature, 220 degrees. Um, for me that night, to be honest, um, it just it sealed the steaks so well it didn't burn. Uh, the taste is different. It's not as strong. It's not as pungent as some of the olive oils. And I, I was a complete not a fan of olive oil until I tasted rapeseed oil. Our rapeseed oil would be a lot milder as well. It wouldn't just be as strong as some of the rapeseed oils. Um, it's like olive oil. It depends where it's grown and how it's grown. We only grow ours in one soil type and we only do one single variety as well, which makes a big difference. So um, we take it all from our own farm. But there's also big health benefits as well. There's 10 times more omega-3 and half saturated fat. And then there's omega-6 and 9 that you don't get in olive oil at all. So for me, you know, after looking into it, it was just the health benefits and I just started to use it. And I was just buying local produce then. And it was a complete and utter joke to start off with that, you know, we had something different. Um, and then it just kind of developed out of nowhere, to be honest. Well, let's go back to that night then whenever you were cooking the steaks in it and you said then that there was there were little black flecks in it. So it was completely, it was a completely raw material. What is the production process? Well, at that time, as I say, Richard was making the biodiesel. Our local council and stuff were running on it and it was working out really well for us. Um, we literally bring it, we farm it all ourselves. Um, we bring it in from the field. It's all dried. We do a different drying system. Most farmers would have diesel in their drying sheds. We have actually a gas flooring, which means that we dry our seeds cold. Um, the seeds are then stored away until I actually need them. Um, as long as they're stored at the right temperature um, and they're dried to the right moisture level, they won't go off. What time of the year do you harvest it at? Usually the last two weeks in August, um, depending on weather, to be honest. Uh, last year was a fantastic harvest. The yields were really high and the weather was great. The two years previous to that, it was absolutely awful, to be honest. Um, it was so wet and Richard actually found it difficult trying to get the crops in. Yeah, I think the whole country was the yeah. same that year. We remember it well. We don't want to go back there again. No, please God, we'll have a similar summer this year as last summer. So it's like most crops, it really likes the hot sunny weather to, to come into its own. Well, it just brings it on, to be honest. Um, I do wee small farm tours here in the farm. And, you know, as I explained to some people who's, you know, maybe never been on a farm before, it's like peas in a pod where, you know, they have to expand. So um, I'd love seeing the sunshine at the end of the day um, to, to bring them out. Um, it really does. So sorry, I'd kind of interrupted you there. Just ask whenever it was harvested. 
once it's harvested, we bring it in as they we dry it. And after that, then it's all stored until we actually need it. We converted one of our old milking parlours here in the yard. And it was my father-in-law's milking parlour. And he used to milk the cattle there back in the 80s. Um, Jim, he then turned on mostly to arable farming. And uh, we're solely arable here now. Um, we farm roughly about 800 acres. But uh, once it comes into the pressing room, then we press it. It's all cold pressed. We don't add anything at all. Everybody always asks. Ours is really light and golden in colour. Um, it wouldn't be as, you know, as heavy as some rapeseed oils. Um, but again, we put that all down to the actual soil, the variety, and um, the way Richard uses mentel rather than using ploughing and things. So it's just different factors, that, you know, probably factors into it in our actual drying sheds as well. But once it's actually cold pressed, um, it's filtered, and we bottle it straight away. And then I have our four new infusions that we started last year. Um, and we've got basil, rosemary and garlic, lemon and chilli. And we do them all by hand as well. And we add in the herbs and things just to be a bit different. So you mentioned there about you store the seeds until you need to, to use them. Yep. Do you bottle or do you press and bottle as demand requires? We do. We do. Um, we're pressing every week, um, obviously, maybe uh, two or three times in the week. Um, we're quite small compared to other processing um, rapeseed oils that are processing maybe by their farm. Some people actually bring it in and just bottle it. But um, no, we just press on demand. We don't store tons of bottles sitting here at the time. You know, um, I think myself, freshly pressed rapeseed is probably better than having it sitting for a while. And in terms of quality then, you talked about growing it in specific soils and it's only your own rapeseed that you actually harvest. You don't buy it from a third party. No, we, we grow all our own here. Um, we grow roughly about 200 acres of oil seed at the minute. And we've had tests actually done by AFI and our soil is unique to the whole of Ireland. And it runs roughly from our farm, which is all reclaimed. Um, we're right in the age of Loch Foil. So our farm was all uh, reclaimed quite a while back. And it runs the whole way up until Campsley, which is just outside Derry. And that band runs the whole way up. And Richard, actually, we take land up that direction as well. So we're quite fortunate it has worked out. And since we started, we did a few tests and trials to start off with, um, doing different varieties. And we've worked out now the variety that we're happy with. And we've been sticking to it, you know, for the last few years, to be honest. And then the different flavours that you talked about, the basil infused, the rosemary and garlic, the chilli, the lemon... By using those in your cooking, does that mean you could, say for example, if I'm making a chilli, if I use that chilli-infused oil, that obviously enhances the taste of the, the chilli in the, the dish? You'll definitely not need any extra chillies once oh, you Oh really? <laughs> you don't need to use any chilli at all? Uh, no, probably not. My chilli um, is quite full of flavour, to be honest, um, and it is quite hot. If you're a chilli lover, you'll love it. But at the same time... Um, a spoonful is probably all you need, so it will last you quite a long time. Um, our basil infused again is quite authentic. Um, it, you know, some, some essences are are quite strong. You know, and would taste a bit more. Um, just wouldn't have the same effect, to be honest. So we're quite happy with the way they did turn out. But again, it was only just by people on Twitter asking, "Are you going to do anything else?" Um, rather than me actually doing it myself. Uh, at the time, I wasn't really interested because I couldn't figure out why people can't infuse their own. And how do you infuse it? Um, we do it all ourselves here, so we do. We're self-approved, so we buy our infusion um, and herbs from a approved supplier, and then I do it all myself here at the farm, so I do. 
Um, nothing again is bought in. We don't outsource it or anything. Well, let's talk now about what you use the rapeseed oil. You've made your stacks in it. I've made my chilli in it. What else can we do with it? Literally, it is so versatile. Um, fish, I, I love cooking fish. Um, we use it a lot for fish salad dishes. Of course, the good fry, you have to use it in your fry. I keep telling everybody with half saturated fat is a healthier fry. Um, and again, your roast potatoes, it will do the crispiest roast potatoes you'll ever have and veg. It, you can just literally use it for everything. Um, we have some of the chefs now that have actually converted to not using olive oil in their restaurants and they're actually using rapeseed oil. And for us, we never believed that that would ever happen. Um, so we're really fortunate in the way things have went. And some of those chefs would be well known to our listeners, I'm sure. Oh, well, uh, we do have quite a lot, to be honest. Um, in Northern Ireland, Noel McMillan Locker, and he's com- completely converted um, Belfast Cook- Cookery School and Warren Seaford. Um, they use only our rapeseed oil as well in the whole kitchen. And just to let the listeners know that Noel McMeal was the chef that cooked for the president whenever he was over for the, and for all the leaders whenever they were there in Northern Ireland for the G8 conference. Right. Um, actually, a bottle of broider gold was left in the middle of the table and poured over every salad. Oh, wow. That's, you must have been hugely <laughs> proud of that. I really was. Um, there was a lot of shouting about that, to be honest. <laughs> Well, it's great publicity, obviously, as are winning awards. And you have a few awards. Tell us about those. We won um, IFEX. That was a, the first award we had won, and that was overall product of the show. Um, we were up against over 110 other products. Um, I was delighted, to be honest. We won Best Pro- uh, Product Packaging as well, the Gold Award. Again, we were only a brand new company that was coming out and I didn't expect to win anything at all. So to be up against those other major companies all over Ireland, we were delighted. And then we won the Great Taste Award, the Gold Star, for the last two years running. I also got Agri Champion, Farm and Life Agri Champion last year. I was a finalist for it, or this year, sorry. Um, this year as well through um, the Farm and Life Awards. Now the the last question I want to ask you is about your, you said you do small farm tours and last year you opened your pressing room as part of a tourism trail in Northern Ireland. Tell us about the Econo Musée, which is a working museum founded in Quebec where tourists can watch artisans at work. Yeah, it was actually quite interesting. They approached me whenever we first um, launched our product because they loved the story behind it. Um, in 1896, there was a local ploughman who ploughed up a gold hoard, which consisted of a torque, a boat, a bracelet, and a, a necklace, and a small gold bowl. And you can actually see it in the National Museum in Dublin. And it turns out, um, obviously because my rapeseed is gold and we live in broider, I, I love the connection between the broider gold. And the economies they had heard about this uh, back in Quebec and they had actually wrote and asked would I be interested in becoming one of the partners. So at the time I had just had my second child and she was only three months old and they said, well, you know, if you're going, we need to have you out there um, in three months. So I left for a week and went to Canada. Emily was only three months old and I loved the whole concept of it. It was all small artisans, anything from jewellery makers, uh, smoke houses, boat makers, shoemaker, paper maker, cheese makers, everything that you could think on under the sun, but it was keeping crafts alive and they were bringing tourists into their premises and showing how things were done and um, it was just so interesting that you could actually see the craft person there have everything under the one roof and then purchase your goods on the way out. So we signed up for it and to be honest we had loads of tourists last year from America, Italy, France 
and then through Tourism Ireland, we've done a few agri uh, food videos for the for Italy and France and Sweden to take back out to try and enhance tourism for Ireland, um, which has been fantastic. So it's really raised our profile, to be honest. You're just doing something a bit different compared to what others have. And of course, summer is only around the corner. So if any of the listeners are interested in doing that tour, if they happen to be in Northern Ireland, all the details about that and where to buy your product is on your website, which is broidergold.co.uk. That's right. We do keep trying to update the website as much as we can. Um, we add on lists and our local Limavady Tourist Board as well. They have different dates where they sit, where it's, it's a free tour. You can come out and, and join in the bus. They bring a bus out round and do different local areas as well of interest, which is great. Leona, it's been lovely talking to you this evening. Thank you very, very much. Much appreciated. You're listening to Second Helpings of the Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. One more interview tonight and we return to the kingdom where Geraldine meets some new food producers. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. We're joined by Kieran O'Connor from Bullseye Marketing who provides a support programme for start-up food producers in Kerry. Welcome Kieran. Thank you Geraldine. Can you tell us a little bit about the background to this support programme please? Sure. Um, this programme is being run by Kerry County Enterprise Board on behalf of uh, food producers based in the county and there are 10 companies actually uh, participating in the program um, it goes tr- it goes through every facet of uh, a food business uh, and it helps the producers prepare themselves to either sell in farmers markets retail go to maybe a national uh, scenario where, where they deal with supermarkets and even further afield to export if they feel they're ready for it. So in terms of the topics that are covered in the programme, what, what does it include? Sure, uh, we cover a broad range of topics uh, in the programme, including market research. Uh, we identify target consumers for the products. Um, we also look at branding, food packaging. So we help them actually prepare their packaging and get it shelf ready. Uh, buyer presentations, so we'd help the companies prepare a presentation so when they meet the buyer they can give a full account of the product, uh, their own company, their unique selling points and we also uh, look at a key element which is distribution of the product which uh, is something that a lot of new producers find particularly uh, difficult uh, to get their product to market. That's great. Thanks very much, Kieran. Kieran's from Bullseye Marketing. And we also have some food producers here that we're going to talk to you about the programme. I'm joined now by Guy Hulbert. He's here now from Hulbert Fine Foods. Welcome, Guy. Hello, Geraldine. Hello. Uh, so can you tell me what type of fine foods do you supply? Um, I, I've developed a range of uh, vegetarian pate, spreads and dips, uh, dipping sauces, chutneys and relish. But I suppose... the the unique product is the uh, vegetarian passe. Very good. So that's yeah. your prime product. And yeah. you've brought along some examples for us today to have a taste. Yeah. They look very, you, very appealing to the eye. And as the... you can see, they're all very vibrant colours. But this is um, a lentil-based harvest pate. Would you like to try some? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. So this is a harvest. So what, tell us what's in that. Uh, this pate is a lentil-based pate. Um, there's sesame seed in there there's carrot, there's courgette there's garlic there's uh, green pew lentils 
there's soy sauce there's there's lots of different mm, ingredients very tasty yeah, yeah you could imagine as you say dips and burritos yeah. and things like it's that. actually really nice as a um a filling in the jacket potato so if okay. you are a vegetarian that's a meal in itself really yeah, yeah. so it has multi-purpose use oh yeah yeah it's multifunctional yeah okay so that's kind of a i suppose would you say a gray brown kind of one and then yeah. you have another one that's a, a lovely pink yeah this is color. the um beetroot cashew and ginger pate i just recently won a award at listol food festival for the best emerging food product uh, it won the pate category and all the although the pate category was a meat and fish but uh, category yeah, it, it actually won as a vegetarian and the, the last one then you have here uh, this is actually a raw food pate there's nothing cooked in this pate so this is actually made with carrots cashew nuts garlic and there's red onion in that as well and olive oil mm. very nice so why did you decide to become a, a food producer um, well about four years ago I kind of I left the job that I was doing decided to go back to college and I went to the organic college in Drum Cholera and um, I always liked growing food and kind of eat, eating it and cooking it as well so um, I was there for a couple of years and I kind of learnt there that rather than just growing vegetables um, by actually creating something out of those vegetables I could make a, a, a like a value-added product and where can customers currently get your products um, I currently sell the products in farmers markets in Killarney, the Killarney natural food market which is on the Friday from 11 till 5 uh, I do the Glen Bay summer markets which is on a Sunday and I do Milltown farmers markets on Saturdays and what did you find the most difficult about starting your own business finance yeah. It's actually getting actually getting the equipment to get get set up. I found that the hardest thing really. And in terms of the course then you're on this programme now yeah. as well, what have you found the most useful for you? Um, for me personally it was actually put, putting together a comprehensive business plan. Um, that the the different uh, segments of the uh, course that we did it helps with uh, target markets, uh, unique selling points, uh, customer segmentation, that kind of thing. And uh, what the lads did, it really it kind of highlighted all that for us. So. Yeah, got into the detail of yeah. it. So if customers or retailers would like to get in touch with you, how would they do so? Uh, well, I've got a Facebook page, and that's Holbert's Fine Foods on Facebook. They can email me, or they could come to the markets and see me there. That's great. Many thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. And wish you every success with your business. Thank you very much. Now, next I'm joined by Billy Sweeney, and he's from Lee's Gourmet Foods. Lee's Gourmet Foods has a little bit of a love story behind it. Can you fill us in on that one? Yeah, well, my, my wife, Leah, who's from the Philippines, uh, we met in London, and um, she used to make um, black pudding. It, 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 it was a, it's, a, it's a tradition in the Philippines. And I had some recipes myself long ago, you know, and of our grandparents, they made, they made their own black pudding. It was a great tradition, a great Irish tradition. And we, we fused the, the two recipes and um, we used to make it at home. So lots of people, friends of ours, used to enjoy it. And they often said, you know, would you ever think of doing it commercially? 
And that's that's really how this how this came about, you know, fusion of the two cultures, if you like. Yeah. So, what type of products do you offer at the moment? Yeah. So we started off with the the black the black pudding. Then we added white pudding, and we've run those now for about two years, and. Um, they are both a fusion of old Irish and Oriental recipes. That's our tagline. They're a high meat content pudding with fresh ingredients. Fresh onions, uh, chilies, ginger, garlic. And uh, they would be a very low fat pudding. The lowest fat pudding in the market in actual fact. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we were doing in-store tastings and people often said well can you add to that you know maybe why don't you do a sausage or maybe a dry cure rasher and so over the last few months we have added the full range at the moment would be uh, gourmet sausages dry cure rashers a farmhouse uh, cheddar that would be an eight months old an eight month old creamy cheddar and um presently um, an Irish organic smoked salmon all with Leah's blend the special spices yeah. so it's it's great to take it straight from the customer I suppose in terms of what they're looking for yeah you're, you're getting a first hand request from what the, what the consumer wants what they like you know so uh, yeah that's um, it was on that, on that advice that we went and uh, so far so good you know and what has been the most difficult part for you setting up a business? I suppose building the brand, you know, um, the time involved in it. I certainly thought we'd be uh, much further down the road than we are. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of time. And uh, I suppose the, from, from a practical point of view, the tastings, doing the in-store tastings, and building the brand that's 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 the most difficult part of it but it, it, it's vital and nobody can do it for you on yourself and if customers or retailers would like to get in touch with you how would they do that yeah the email is uh, info at leas.ie and you have a website there as well we have indeed yeah leas again www.leas.ie yeah very good. That's great. So I wish you every success with Thank your you, business. Yes, Hope please. it goes well. And as you say, exciting times ahead. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. I hope you enjoyed tonight's selection of interviews with the artisan food producers. Next week, we will return to the normal format for Best Possible Taste when I'll be welcoming a great lineup of chefs to the show. Chef Tom Flavin will be in the studio to talk the perfect picnic. I get to meet Chef Stephen Toman in the award-winning Ox restaurant in Belfast and chat to the fierce but fair Monica Galetti of MasterChef UK fame. Thanks for joining me tonight to producer Geraldine O'Sullivan and, of course, everybody that was a guest on the show. Have a great week and until next Tuesday, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.